This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish in the Anglican Church of North America in Houston, Texas. Find us online at holytrinityrec.org. Find us on Facebook as Holy Trinity Houston, and on Twitter and Instagram as Holy Trinity REC. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends. This line from verse 21 of our lesson in Job is deeply troubling. Knowing Job struggles to then have his friends turn on him for most of this book, we should all take a pause. Have we ever been the cause for those close to us to feel this way about our words and actions to them in the midst of their trials? A line like this in scripture is quite easy to take, though, in the opposite direction, rather to say, gee, this reminds me of all those times fellow Christians have been complete jerks to me in my time of need. Rather, though, a better way to look at this, to ponder these words of Job, even if we've been or received the brunt of similar behavior, is to contemplate on whether or not we have done this to others in the past. And how can we turn back to the Lord's mercy, grace, and love to help to be better equipped in comforting those close to us for the future? This morning, let us meditate upon our lessons in seeking God's help in this most important aspect of our lives in Christ. To begin, we always need to start with the worship of Almighty God, both in his sanctuary and throughout daily living. We read, or you read earlier in the book of Job, chapter 2, of a possible opportunity for this with the three friends when they arrived on the scene of Job and his discomfort and all that he was going through. They had the opportunity to show him or to worship. And we read when they came to show him sympathy and comfort at the beginning of the book that they sat in silence with him for seven days and seven nights. Worship and prayer are a necessity in the times we comfort the suffering. Psalm 63, our psalm today, provides a blueprint for worship and prayer when we approach each other. Such is helpful in aiding the destitute. It all starts in the sanctuary, as verse 2 of our psalm outlined. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. This statement of worship is preceded by the psalmist in verse 1, outlining the state of life he is currently experiencing. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. If we shun worship in the sanctuary in our dry times, guess what will happen? We'll remain dry, thirsty, faint, and weary. 
Everything in the sanctuary, if you think about it, is meant to keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ in remembrance upon all that he has accomplished for us. The altar of the Lord's table is front and center, reminding us constantly of the finished work of Christ. The importance is looking upon Jesus and all that we say and do in this life. And it begins with worship. Verses 3, 5, and 7 of our psalm, we see not only that we look upon the Lord, but we also use our lips when we sing praises to God. Sometimes when we're going through tough moments, edifying and gracious words are scarce for us to even think about, much less utter. Worship and the words of praise we sing and praise are, pray are most helpful to lift us when we are in valleys, whether we're stuck in them ourselves or when we're helping those stuck in them. Verse 4 of the psalm speaks of another element of our worship. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Physical motions in our worship aid us in knowing the majesty of God. Kneeling, bowing, standing, lifting up our hands to the Lord are all motions that can help us give our all to God, body and soul. And since so many of our agonies in this life hit us physically as they hit Job, worshiping God with emotions of our bodies teaches us the vital connection between worship and spirit and truth and the body. Additionally, the bodily motions of worship teach us the importance and truth that someday on that last great day, we will be raised up from the dead bodily to join with Jesus Christ. It, join, it teaches us that God cares deeply even for our frail human bodies. And thus we convey reverence to him through our bodies. As Job said in verses 25 through 26 of the lesson today, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in the flesh, I shall see God. Verse 6 of the psalm speaks of worship in this fashion. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Again, remembrance of all God has done for us is critical when we go through tough times. Looking upon God in the sanctuary, praising him with our lips, Physical acts of reverence and praise all help in remembering his great mercy and love for us, such as of great comfort and solace in all our circumstances. Lastly, in worship of God through our tribulations is this from verse 8 of the psalm. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. All these elements of worship in Psalm 63 aid us to cling to Jesus Christ alone, relying solely upon his right hand of power and might to protect us. This clinging to Jesus Christ is submission and humility. Worship allows us the tangible opportunity every week to do as James 1.21 reminds us, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Our mission in ministering to the suffering is to gently guide them to God for their comfort through worship and prayer. Next, it's important 
in our lessons today to examine, especially from our lesson in Job, how not to treat those that are going through, through stress and tribulations in their life, how not to treat them. Verse 22 of Job 19 reads, Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? When we play God to the tune of trying to twist the knife even more when a person's suffering, we do nothing more than to cast the person into deeper despair. While those that suffer need our comfort and presence through love, we can be prone to think God is not doing enough in punishing the person. We can be prone to think that we can stand in the place of God and do more. We can think that God is not doing enough and bring our own version of punishment upon the person. This is what Job's three friends did throughout the book of Job. It was not their role to play God. It was not their role to pursue Job like God. Such states that they, his friends, were not satisfied with the level of suffering he was enduring. We must be wary and on guard in similar circumstances for those around us to avoid such unloving pursuits. Our call is not to push people into deeper despair, but rather to comfort and encourage them in Jesus Christ. As Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. To further see what Job's three friends did to him throughout this book, we need to look at the context of chapter 19, beginning in verse 2 with these words of Job to his friends. How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with your words? All too often when we do not know what to say to a fellow Christian when they're under stress, we end up saying things that we may not think are harsh. But in reality, for the person already at the very lowest, it is harsh. A good point to ponder when comforting a fellow believer that is suffering is to scrutinize our own words before we speak them or write them in a message. More often than not, it's better to simply say, I will have to think and pray about that question or that matter and get back with you. It's better to fill in the silent moments with prayer and presence than advice that might be ill-advised and harsh, tormenting the person by breaking them into pieces with our words. People in the midst of pain and suffering do not need our commentary and play-by-play of what we think's going on. As Psalm 69:26 reminds us, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. God's work is enough for the purpose and timing he deems necessary. Often when we add to what is already being suffered, we do so out of our own pride and impatience. We need to examine our potential words to a person in need and trouble with this simple question. Is this prideful? Or could it be seen as prideful? And if it is, it's best not to say it. 
As Job 19 verse 5 states in the context of our chapter today, if indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me. When we do such, we act as enemies rather than fellow believers and friends in Christ. We do as Psalm 57 states, they destroy me with their words, with their tongues as sharpened swords. Our call as fellow believers are the opposite of Job's friends. Our call is to be humble with the destitute and comforting to them in their disgrace with words of encouragement and grace. Too often in these moments when things are said amiss, we that say them defend ourselves to the point we come out as playing God's role rather than the role of fellow believers on the same level. As Job 19 verse 3 states, These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? Sometimes as Job's friends exhibited, we can do much wrong and sin in our words that break people with our arguments be blind to what we're doing. Having looked at how not to treat those in their pain, it's important now to turn to how we should approach one another. And I believe a good blueprint for this is in our epistle today from James. James 1.19 states, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Swiftness and Listening to a person means patience, to give the person a chance to talk. Even when silence occurs, as it often does when someone's in deep travail, listening is still needed through the patience of waiting on the person to speak when they're ready. The urgency to fill silent voids with words is often full of hot air, self-magnification, and pride. The discipline of listening begins again, where we started with worship, listening to God and his holy word. As John Calvin wrote on this passage in James, but inasmuch as we do not calmly hear God speaking to us when we seem to ourselves to be very wise, but by our haste interrupt him when addressing us, the apostle requires us to be silent to be slow to speak. If we're not swift to hear others in their suffering, it's a good indication that we also do not listen to God. In our fallen condition, yet redeemed in Christ, this is something God is working on within all of us, all our days. Gratitude in seeing how patient God is with us is key to then turn to others in patience and love by his grace to listen first to God's words and then to the words of our fellow believers. Listening is to wait. Listening is to answer the plea of Job in verse 21. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you my friends. And as Romans 12, 15 reminds us, weep with those who weep. Job's friends, as we see throughout this book, did not weep with him. They did not have mercy on him. They rather sought to push him into more weeping. Mercy is to wait with those suffering through listening 
as long as it takes. When we fail at this, as we often do, we must repent and ask God's gracious help to be a godly listener. The second aspect of this well-known verse in James is part of listening is to be slow to speak. Slowness to speech in the suffering of others includes, if you think about it, a scarcity of words. Carefully chosen, not in excess. Such is mercy. When someone is already going through it, someone is already suffering, the result of a plethora of our words and response to their plight is often grating and unmerciful. As Job's three friends displayed chapter after chapter of this book. These passages from Proverbs are important to note before we turn to the point we speak to those we are trying to comfort. Proverbs 15 verse 2 states, the mouths of fools pour out folly. And in Proverbs 18 verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Often when helping others, understanding is in the listening and silence to comfort them in their pain through presence and prayers, not opinions just to fill the void. And in Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Slow to speak also means we limit our words. And as Proverbs 17, 27 states, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. A prayer or reading scripture to the destitute when asked to speak by them is far better if we feel we're not ready or don't have adequate words to say or fear we may hurt them further. The last part of this verse in James 1 speaks of being slow to anger. This is the type of anger explained in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. And further in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Proper godly anger that does not sin has gone through the forging fires of a swiftness to listen and a slowness to speak. Proper godly anger turns to God in prayer first. And often that is where it's left. To be silent, as Psalm 4, 4 outlined. Rash anger laden with human sin is unmerciful and is full of the person's pride, leveling the anger. A key biblical example of such behavior to pray to avoid in our own lives are the vengeance-laden words of Job's three friends, toward his plight. As we see in the end of the book of Job, God judged Job's three friends for their display of sinful human anger. God called Job to offer sacrifices on behalf of his three friends. As we read in James 1.20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Man's anger is full of self-promotion, pride, and at the bottom line, an unwillingness to listen, pray, and worship God. It turns from the focus of the comfort to the person in need and becomes all about the person leveling the wrath. It is selfishness. It is wanting to be the center of attention. It screams, I'm more important than you and your suffering, and I will make you suffer more by playing God and displaying sinful wrath. Job's words to his friends at the end of chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, speaks of the danger they place themselves in in their sinful anger towards him. Job said, If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. We must be careful and always praying for grace to display godly love over and against all the acts and words of sin we are prone to utter. Life is hard enough as Christians to have to deal with people that speak and act as Job's friends acted towards him. Let us be mindful that we are all capable of such sin, especially to those in need. Let us ever turn to Christ and his word for help to be gracious and merciful towards those that need comfort and solace. Let us ask for the help to be merciful to each other through swiftness to listen, slowness to speak, and slowness to anger. Amen.